Let's pray. We'll ask God for his help. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we pray that as we reflect on your word now, that you help us to understand what it means and you help us to think hard about uh, what it means for us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in our society, Christian leaders have a bad name. Christian leaders have a bad reputation. Uh, first, people suspect that Christian leaders abuse children. Now, that's probably the thing you hear most often about Christian leaders on the news today. Uh, a while ago, I heard a talk by a Presbyterian minister, a man by the name of Richard Quadrio. Uh, Richard uh, currently serves as a chaplain with the Australian Navy. Uh, one time he was telling us about how he was uh, talking to a young sailor, and the sailor said to him, uh, Richard, you don't seem like a normal Christian minister. Richard said to him, well, what makes you say that? Uh, to which the young man replied, well, you don't seem to be a paedophile. Uh, Christian leaders also have a bad name when it comes to money. Of course, the televangelists do us no favours on this, do they? As they have their television shows where they'll bless a hanky and then sell it to you for $30 or something like that. They're always asking for money, the televangelists, and people do in our society go on about how rich the church is, particularly, uh, especially the Catholic church, how rich it is apparently. Um, people also suspect that ministers don't do much to earn their money. I often have people say to me, do you actually do this for a living? What do you do for the other six days each week? Christian leaders also have a bad reputation just simply because they're leaders. Uh, Australian culture has a suspicion of anyone in authority. If you seek authority in Australian culture, people assume that you're doing it so you can benefit yourself somehow or because you're on some kind of a power trip. In our culture, church authorities are very unpopular. And so when we come to a passage like 1 Peter chapter 5, it can seem a bit strange because this passage unapologetically has a very high view of church leadership. It says that leaders are important to God. It says that leaders are important to the church. And it gives Christian leaders a genuine authority. In chapter 5, the Apostle Peter, he speaks to the leaders of the churches. And he calls the leaders, in the Greek language, presbuteros. Uh, which, which literally means old men. Uh, he's talking about church leaders here, not just any old men in general, but he uses the word because in the early church, for the most part, uh, it was older men who were chosen to lead. Now, our denomination, of course, is named from this same word. Uh, we're called Presbyterian uh, because we have a system of church government that involves elders, presbyterus. Uh, the minister in a Presbyterian church is not the boss. Uh, perhaps uh, like in a, a Catholic church or an Anglican church, uh, the minister has a lot of authority, not so much in a Presbyterian church. Uh, on the other hand, a Presbyterian church is not a democracy where everyone gets a vote on every issue, like perhaps a Baptist church or a Congregationalist church. Uh, what happens in a Presbyterian church is that the congregation elects elders and then the elders have the authority to look after the church. Anyway, Peter addresses the elders in the church and he says he does so as an elder of a church himself. He literally says, a fellow Presbyterian. Oh, I'm sure you're all so pleased that Peter was a fellow Presbyterian with you. Um, but, but, but more than that, Peter calls himself an eyewitness 
of Jesus. Uh, Peter personally knew Jesus, personally saw Jesus. And then finally, Peter calls himself a sharer in the glory that will be revealed. That was so important to Peter. Uh, Peter, in his role as a leader of the church, he suffered greatly. Uh, This man was imprisoned, he was was whipped, he was tortured. Eventually, he was crucified for standing up and being a leader in the Christian church. But Peter knew that this life is not all there is. Uh, Peter knew that there will be glory for faithful leaders when Jesus returns. And so he calls himself a sharer in that glory. So in his capacity as elder and witness of Christ and sharer in the glory to come, Peter has a word for these church leaders. It's more than a word, though. It's an, it's an appeal. He, he strongly urges them. He implores them. He says, I implore you, will you please look after the churches? He uses a couple of images. He uses the image of a shepherd looking after sheep. And he uses the image of a guard, like a a bodyguard watching over and protecting someone. Peter, he, he longs for the elders to care for and protect the people in the churches. And notice who these people belong to. Yes, they are under the care of the leaders, but notice who they belong to. They are God's flock, his precious people that he cares about. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1, have a look with me. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who will also share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds. God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. So it's a vivid image. Church leaders as shepherds and as bodyguards. And it contains a couple of important truths. First, this image shows us that churches need leaders. That's here in this image. You can't leave sheep on their own. On their own, they wander off and get lost. On their own, sheep are at the mercy of carnivorous animals. On their own, sheep struggle to find food and water. It is actually very difficult to be a Christian on your own. Churches need, people need churches and churches need leaders. That's here in this image. Second, also in this image, uh, you get an an idea of the task of leaders. Here in this image of shepherding and guarding, the task of leaders is to care for the people in the churches, to try to help them flourish as Christians. It's not so much about programs, it's not about buildings or or administration. It's about people, feeding people with the word of God, uh, protecting them from false teaching, helping people to, to hold on to Jesus despite the things that happen in their lives. Uh, it's about helping people to grow in their love and knowledge of Jesus, uh, trying to bring people back who've wandered off. That's the job. Care for people. The church needs leaders who will faithfully help them to live for Jesus. And so Peter appeals to these leaders, do the job. Shepherd and guard the churches. Peter now uses a series of three contrasts. And each of these contrasts describe how leaders should not and should lead and look after the churches. 
So contrast number one. Contrast number one, Peter says, don't do the job unwillingly. Don't do it grudgingly. Don't do it because you have to. Don't do it because you're being forced to. Instead, he says, you should serve the church willingly because you want to do it, because you want to serve God, because you want to help God's people. Peter says that's how God wants leaders to serve their churches, willingly. Why would they be unwilling, do you think? Well, remember the context of this letter of 1 Peter. The church is suffering. The church is facing persecution and trouble for being Christian. And probably the leaders were the ones getting it worst of all. They're the ones standing up and and standing out. And so it's not really surprising that some of the older men didn't want to be elders. Older men then were the same as older men now, same as me. Don't particularly want to be persecuted. Don't particularly want to have to be in the face of suffering like that, even if it's expected of you as an older man to be a leader. Well, Peter says, don't do it because you have to do it. Don't do it because it's just expected of you as an older man. Do it because you want to do it. Verse 2 again. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. That's contrast number one. Contrast number two. Second contrast. Peter says, don't be a church leader because you want to extract money from people. You shouldn't do it for the money. Now, people do get very serious about religion, and religion is talking about stuff that is very close to our hearts, about our meaning, about our purpose in life. And so it's always been the case that charlatans can use religion to get money from people. L. Ron Hubbard is famously quoted as saying this, you don't get rich writing science fiction... If you want to get rich, you start a religion. Taking his own advice, L. Ron Hubbard stopped being a science fiction writer and he started a religion. It's called Scientology. You might have heard of it. When he died in 1986, L. Ron Hubbard's estate was valued at $26 million. It's equal to about $100 million at today's value. So it's obviously good advice. There is money to be made in religion. Peter says to the elders, don't be a leader to get people's money. Instead, by contrast, he says, says, be enthusiastic to serve, eager to serve. Do it because you love God. Do, Do it because you know the extraordinary love that he has shown to you. Do it because you love people and you know they need Jesus more than anything else. Do it because it is your passion to see people grow and flourish in Christ. Peter says, be shepherds, still in verse 2, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Contrast number three. Third contrast. Peter says the leaders are not to lord it over people. Christian leadership shouldn't be some kind of power trip. Christian leaders shouldn't boss people around. They're not to be bullies. They're not to use their authority to, for their own benefit or to get their own way. Uh, I remember once uh, a guy in Bible college, um, someone said to him, why are you in Bible college? And he said, well, I'd like to be a minister because I've got six kids and I never get a chance to have a word in edgewise. But if you're a minister, you get to speak for 25 minutes and nobody can stop you from talking. He was only joking. Not to be using their authority to get their own way, not to be using their authority to make people, not to exploit their authority or to exploit their authority over the vulnerable, like children or anything like that, especially. 
No, no, by contrast, Peter says Christian leaders need to set an example for the church. They are to be leading the way in Christian maturity, leading the way in godliness in their church lives, in their family lives, in their work lives, in their leisure time. With Christian leaders, it shouldn't be do as I say. With Christian leaders, it should be do as I do. Verse 3. How do you be a shepherd? Not lording it, lording it over those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock. Do you, do you see these three contrasts that are here? How should the leaders shepherd? Willingly, not unwillingly. With an enthusiastic desire to serve, not doing it for the money. And by setting an example, not by bossing people around. Uh, Peter's final word. His final word to the leaders is about the reward that is in store for faithful Christian leaders. He says they will receive a glorious, unfading crown of victory. This is not a king's crown he's talking about. He's using the image of of, of the wreath that victorious athletes were crowned with when they won their race. Only he says this wreath, it lasts forever. Verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus himself, of course, isn't it? When the chief shepherd appears... You will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Friends, there is great reward for faithful Christian leaders. Uh, Jesus will be pleased with you. He will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And in heaven, there will be people there whom you have served, whom you have looked after. You'll have the joy and the glory of having people in eternity who were there partly through your efforts. Now, the Apostle Paul puts this beautifully writing to the Thessalonians who he helped to trust in Jesus. I've put this on your outline there. He said, For what is our hope, our joy, or the crowning which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. How precious to have Jesus pleased with you and to have people there whom you have helped. All right. Well, that's Peter's message to the elders. Uh, Peter then just has one thing to say to the younger people, by which I I think he's referring to the whole church, even if he's specifically thinking about younger people. He calls on them to submit to their elders, uh, recognise the authority of the elders, follow their lead, follow their example. Verse 5 says, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. As I say, Peter's address here is specifically to younger people, but it's clear in the New Testament that this applies to the whole church. Uh, For example, in the book of Hebrews, the author writes to the whole church and he says, this is Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Okay, that's as far as we're going today. Can you see what's here then in this quite short passage? Peter is speaking to the leaders of the churches, the elders. He's calling on them to faithfully guard and guide the churches, willingly, not unwillingly, Uh, with the desire to serve, not doing it for money, setting an example, not bossing people around. Peter says there's great reward for faithful Christian leaders. And then finally, Peter calls on the churches, particularly the younger people, to submit to their leaders, to acknowledge their authority and place themselves under that authority. All right, can you see what's here then? It's a pretty, pretty clear passage, isn't it? There's nothing terribly complicated about it. 
So uh, let's, 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 let's then think about applying this passage to ourselves. Now, obviously, this passage is mostly directed to Christian leaders. And I'll get to you in a second, Christian leaders. But before we get to them, let, let's think what this means for those of us who are not in Christian leadership, for those of us who serve in other ways. Uh, two things to say. Two things to th- say for those of us who are not in Christian leadership. Uh, first, God's word is clear. We need to submit to Christian leaders. I know that's not uh, popular in our culture, but that's what the Bible says. That's application point number one, submitting to leaders. And the Presbyterian Church, we have a a book of rules and regulations. Some people love it, not all of us. Uh, It's quite complicated. It's called the Code. Um, And I I think on this particular issue, the Code is very helpful in in what it says on this issue. Uh, I've put the relevant section on your outline there. Not too often you'll see the Code on on your outline, but here it is. This is actually what you sign up for if you become a member of our church or any Presbyterian church. Have a look with me. 1.05, duties of members. It is the duty of communicants and adherents, those are the kinds of membership that there are in the Presbyterian church. It's the duty of members to give faithful attendance on gospel ordinances. Show up to church and Bible study so you can hear the gospel. To give their ministers all due respect, encouragement and obedience in the Lord. To submit to the session, that's the elders of the church, as over them in the Lord. To cherish a brotherly spirit among themselves and to promote the peace and prosperity of the congregation. It's old-fashioned language, but that fills out pretty well what the Bible is saying. Christians are called on to submit to church leadership. So what's that going to mean in practice for you? Well, our job as Christian leaders, it's pretty clear here in this passage, it is to help you to thrive as a Christian, to to help you to grow in maturity as a Christian. That's what it means for us to be over you in the Lord. Uh, That's what what our job of shepherding and guarding implies, to to help you flourish as a Christian. And to do that, uh, we offer to teach you from God's word, the Bible, here in church week by week, in Bible studies through the week, and and, and one-to-one as we meet with you or show hospitality to you. And and as it says in this passage, we're trying not just to tell you how to be a Christian, but show you by our example how to be a Christian. That's what leadership entails, and fundamentally what we want from you is this. Here is what would really encourage us as, as, as church leaders We would love to see you grow. We would love to see you flourish, grow in your faith, grow in your understanding of God and his word. We'd love to see you grow in in your understanding of Jesus' love for you and in your love for him and in obedience to him. As leaders, we would love to see you flourish as a Christian. That is our hope for you. And that is how you can best encourage us. Listen to God's word, put it into practice, and so grow as a Christian. I have to say, for me, this is... By far the most exciting and encouraging thing about being a church leader is when you see the lights go on for someone or when you see someone who comes and tells you how their life has changed as a result of God's word. Here's how you can encourage us. Flourish as a Christian. Also be great if you could please pray for us as well. Pray that our leaders will be godly Christians. Pray they'll set us a good example. Pray they'll have wisdom as they shepherd us. They'll have the strength they need for their work. That would be something that we'd really value as well, your prayers. 
Our society is not that keen on the idea of doing what we're told, submitting to leadership, let alone Christian leadership. But the Bible is clear. We need Christian leaders to guard us and guide us, to shepherd and protect us, and so we ought to submit to Christian leadership. Well, friends, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I believe that we have a church leadership here at Chatsworth Presbyterian who are working hard to be faithful to God. Of course, we're far from perfect, but I sincerely believe that our ministers and our elders and our Bible study leaders can help you to flourish as a Christian. If you listen to God's word as it comes from them, you can grow as a Christian. I believe that our youth and children's leaders can help your children to flourish as Christians. If you encourage them to submit to their leaders and to to listen to God's word, they can grow as Christians. I believe there is good reason to give our leaders here, as it says in the code, respect, encouragement and obedience in the Lord. And although this may sound very self-serving, I even dare to think that you might be thankful for our leaders and love your leaders. Okay, that was the first application, submitting to leadership. Second thing to say to those who are not leaders is this. Why not? Why not? Here in this congregation, we have some of the most intelligent, qualified, gifted people I have ever met. And yet we struggle for leaders. Uh, Christian leadership is something you should aspire to. As, As the Apostle Peter says it here, God wants you to be a willing leader. Or as the Apostle Paul puts it, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. I know you're busy. So are the other people who take out time to serve as leaders. I know it's hard work being a Christian leader. I know Christian leaders are not valued in our society. There's no great status in being an elder or something like that as there used to be maybe 50 years ago. I know that being a leader even puts you in the spotlight But friends, it's something well worth doing. Well worth doing. It's an eternally significant thing to do. It comes with great reward in this life as well as the next. It's something we should want to do. We should aspire to serve as leaders. If you want to get started on that, do the sort of thing that Marty was talking about before. Don't wait for someone to ask you. Just... Look for people around you who would be encouraged by you reading the Bible with them or praying with them or encouraging them in some other way. Just get on and do it. Start leading. Okay, those were the two applications for those who are not currently in Christian leadership. Let me finish by addressing Christian leaders. Uh, Two things to say to you as well. Uh, Two things to say to those of us who are Christian leaders here. Uh, First, uh, check your motives. Check your motives. That's point one of application for leaders. Check your motives. Uh, When a Presbyterian minister gets ordained, they need to answer some questions. And one of the questions uh, is this. I've put it on your outline. Are zeal for the glory of God, love for the Lord Jesus Christ, 
and a desire to save souls and not worldly interests or expectations, so far as you know your own heart, your great motives and chief inducements to the work of ministry. Again, in classic Presbyterian style, it's almost incomprehensible because it's such a long, complicated sentence with big words. But do you see what it means? Do you see what it means? It's actually a very, very good question to ask somebody. It's not just a question for ministers. This is an excellent question to ask yourself about any ministry that you're doing or thinking about doing. What's your motive? Is it zeal for the glory of God? Is it love for the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it a desire to save souls? Or is it some kind of worldly interest or expectation? Interesting, don't you think, how modern these issues are? The sort of stuff Peter's talking about, people being leaders for money or people being leaders so they can boss people around. It's exactly the thing that our society criticises in Christian leadership, isn't it? Leaders who do it for the money or leaders who exploit their authority or abuse their authority. It is possible to do Christian ministry for worldly reasons. So, leaders, check your motives. That was the first point of application. Check your motives. Final point of application for leaders. Leaders, uh, renew your enthusiasm. Renew your enthusiasm. I was talking to a mate of mine the other day. He's the minister of a very big church, one of the biggest churches in Sydney. He's a very smart man, uh, usually a very positive man, very up sort of a guy. But I ran into him in the shops the other day and he was looking really down. He said to me, he said to me, Jeff, it's a mugs game, ministry. People expect you to be an expert on everything. You're supposed to be able to run a church, lead a staff team, teach the Bible, help people in all different kinds of troubles with some profound counselling, manage the politics of a denomination, oversee property and buildings, oversee the finances, on it goes. If by some miracle you do it right, everyone takes you for granted and assumes you do nothing. And if you do it wrong, you get blamed as if you're personally hurting people and everyone wants to punish you. He wasn't very happy on that day. I have to say, say that it's a sad fact that many Presbyterian ministers are struggling. It's, uh, it's nearly 10% of Presbyterian ministers today are currently on stress leave. I think it's about 7 or 8%. And many more of them report anxiety and depression. In fact, the insurance company a few years ago was so worried about insuring Presbyterian ministers that they made us all do a self-care course because they didn't think they could insure us all anymore. According to a study by John Mark Ministries, there are as many ex-ministers in Australia today as there are ministers. Just as many people have given up ministry, despite all the training and everything, as are currently in it in Australia. Christian leadership... It's not easy. And of course, in some ways, in many ways, it's even harder for you who, who serve in Christian leadership unpaid, who have to fit ministry into an already busy life. I mean, at least I get nothing else to do. But you, you have to not only work to, to make money and look after a family, then have to try to squeeze in serving on top of all that. Nobody's paying you. Nobody notices the hard work that you put in. No doubt, as Bible study rolls around yet again or the session meeting rolls around yet again or yet another training meeting comes up, you think often, 
I'd much rather veg in front of the TV on this cold winter's night. And, and then when you have a break, like school holidays, as we've had for a couple of weeks now, just reminds you of how pleasant it is to not have to do ministry. No doubt you sometimes find yourself discouraged. Maybe you spent hours preparing that Bible study and then less than half of your group bothered to show up. Maybe they didn't even bother to tell you they weren't showing up or maybe they offered some pathetic excuse that just made you angry. I still vividly remember the report of our former mission partner, Andrew Lubbock. Uh, remember he was a missionary in Florence for many years and do you remember that video that he sent us, the, the last video? He'd been more than 10 years working his guts out in Florence, slaving away. He came to his final Bible study and no one showed up. Christian leadership is, contrary to popular opinion, hard work. It's intellectually and emotionally and spiritually taxing. Uh, society doesn't have any respect for us anymore. They think we're lazy, controlling child abusers. You're not going to get any respect out there for doing Christian ministry. And you're probably not going to get all that much respect from a lot of Christians either. They will take you for granted or whinge about you. Or, or by failing to grow, they'll make you feel like you're wasting your time. But leaders, listen to what Peter says here. God wants you to be willing. God wants you to be eager to serve. God wants you to set an example to the flock. That's what God wants from you. Uh, Christian leadership it reminds me a little bit of my dog. I'm not really a dog person. I don't like my dog all that much. I think dogs are dirty and I don't like touching them very much. Okay? But for many years I would come home and my children would come to the front door, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. Now I come to the front door and only the dog comes to <laughs> greet me. I don't want to touch the dog, but every day the dog comes back happy and hopeful that one day she'll get a pat. <laughs> I reckon it's a nice picture of Christian ministry. Just keep showing up, showing up, no matter the reaction. God wants you to be willing. God wants you to be eager to serve. God wants you to set an example to the flock. And friends, you know, nobody, it's quite possible that no one will ever notice, but God will. He sees what you're doing and he values what you're doing. And friends, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Let's pray. A gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your extraordinary and wonderful mercy to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have loved us even when we didn't love you. We thank you that you keep on calling us to live as you want us to live even when we don't. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you'll help the leaders of our church to be strong, to be enthusiastic, to be faithful. We pray you'll help us all to grow together in the Lord Jesus Christ, listening to your word and flourishing that we may be pleasing to you and that we may have the joy and glory of being together in heaven, having encouraged each other in this church and in this life. So strengthen us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.